So I'm glad you've joined us today. Welcome those watching online as well. Uh, Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday to join us, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or our website at live.mycornerstone.org. Just good day to be here. Um, And so we get to continue our series marked, called by the Savior. And there's a a picture of a thumbprint there because I believe every one of us is marked with the image of God in our life. And we're learning a little bit what that looks like as we're called to follow after Him. So before I jump into today's message, a couple of real quick announcements uh, just to share with you. The first is on Good Friday this year, on April 2nd, uh, we have a special children's event Uh, called Journey to the Cross. And this is going to be really neat. It's from 6 to 9 p.m. There's three different time slots you can sign up for. Uh, This is going to be an interactive, family-based service. Uh, It's going to be in our new Center 242. Uh, It's going to be really neat. We're going to have live worship. There are going to be all sorts of interactive things for the kids to do uh, during this. Uh, We're limiting it. uh, Right now, we're limiting it to 12 families for each time period. Uh, So we do need you to sign up in advance just to make sure we've got enough space and see if we need to add time slots, any of that stuff. Um, But it's going to be really fun. Um, Each family, uh, you'll get a devotion to take home and work through with your kids and lots of neat stuff in this as well. Um, So if you're interested in that, let us know. You can sign up on our website for that. Um, It really is going to be kind of a neat thing. It's um, I know with, uh, uh, with everything that happened, we were actually wanting to do this last year. We couldn't do it, so we had to push it to this year, but it's going to be good. So uh, sign up if you haven't for that. You can go to mycornerstone.fyi, go to upcoming events. You'll see a place to sign up there. So that's one thing uh, that we've got coming up. The second thing, uh, I announced it last week, but if you weren't here, I'll share it with you, uh, is our 21 Days of Hope. It's 21 days from now until Easter. And so what we want to do is we wanted to do something special, kind of take you on an adventure between now and Easter. And so uh, we came up with a a devotional to share with you guys. Um, And this devotional, uh, if you sign up and you sign up by texting the word HOPE to 276-221-9494, if you text the word HOPE there, uh, if you're already in our system, it will just add you to the list. Uh, If not, it'll ask you for your name and for your email address Uh, And then once you're signed up, you'll start receiving uh, emails and some text messages throughout the week uh, just to encourage you. Um, Some of them will be challenging you to take a step of faith and do something maybe out of your comfort zone a little bit. Some of them are just more devotional in nature, helping you think about why Easter is important. Uh, But here's what I want you to know. It's really like a digital mission trip without going anywhere. Um, And so you can sign up for this. It really is neat. How many of y'all signed up last week? Uh, You got a few. few. It really is cool. Um, And so if you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to do it. Um, and, and together as a church, uh, we'll be working through this together as we lead up to Easter. And, and the reality is Easter is such an important day. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection, resurrected Lord. It's a day when so many people in our community are open to hearing and learning about Jesus. So this is a great opportunity for us to kind of take part and work together uh, to, to really help people experience uh, the, the power of Easter. So uh, if you're ready to, to join up, just text that word hope to, to the phone number that's on the screen and you'll be good to go. Uh, so those are the big announcements. Other, one more thing I, I do, that we'll mention, 
uh, our youth, uh, our Cornerstone Student Ministries, our older youth are planning to go to summer camp. We're hoping, we're believing uh, that it's going to be uh, on this year. It's in South Carolina, the one we're planning. Uh, it's the last week of June, July. So uh, the sign-up is available for that. If you want to find out more information, you can come to youth tonight, 6.30 to 8, uh, and get all the info about that. Uh, but it's, um, uh, it's going to be a really neat experience, too. So all the announcements out of the way. So now we can kind of jump in today. Uh, last week, we studied the Scripture, and we learned how Jesus calls us to follow Him. And there's kind of two different calls. There's a general call that he calls every believer, and that's what we focused on last week. He calls every believer to follow him, to, to, to be with God, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus has done. And then there's also a specific call on our life that he has given each and every one of us. God has prepared a plan, a purpose, a task for us. Uh, he's called us into service, into ministry. Uh, and so we're working at discovering what that is and learning how to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life through living out the life God has planned and prepared for us. Uh, but today what we want to do is kind of uh, continue looking at this call that he has given each and every one of us. Uh, and look at another story of a disciple being called. Last week we looked at uh, the call of Peter and Andrew and, and even James and John, the, the fishermen, that he told them to drop their nets and come and follow me. Uh, today we get to look at the story of Matthew or Levi, the, the tax collector, and, and see what we can learn from this story about how we follow Jesus. Uh, and, and so uh, we look at this, and, and if you look at Mark and you kind of, and get the backstory here. There's a story about Jesus uh, healing a man that was paralyzed. If you remember the story, the, he was in a house. It was crowded. The paralyzed man couldn't get in. So his friends climbed up on the roof, lowered him down uh, where Jesus, he could meet Jesus. And that's when Jesus healed him. When, uh, when Jesus left that place, he was going towards the Sea of Galilee. And that's when he passed by Matthew or Levi. And, and, and that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 5. Uh, this story is in all three synoptic gospels. And uh, synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're similar. They tell the summary of the life of Jesus. And John's a little bit different. Uh, so it, it, you see some different stories in John. But in all three synoptic gospels, you have this story about Matthew. And so what we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we'll pick it up there today. Uh, it says this, Later, as Jesus left the town... He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so this is interesting because last week we also saw a similar story when he said, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, and so now he passes by Matthew and says, okay, just come follow me. Come follow me and be my disciple. Uh, the, the first point I want to share about this this week, and uh, it's an important one, it, it's simply this. When we're called by God, it's going to require us to leave some things behind. We see this with the disciples. When Jesus calls them, what did they do? They had to leave some things behind. Uh, you know, you think about this. I, I, to me, it's one of the biggest problems we face in the church today is that people want to follow Jesus without leaving anything behind. 
Uh, they, they want to follow Jesus. They want to be a disciple, but they're not willing to lay down their nets. They're not willing to lay down anything in order to follow Jesus. And I, here's what I want you to know. You can't move forward to who Jesus wants you to be while you're holding on to what you used to be. As long as you're holding on to what you used to be, you're not going to be able to be who God has called you to be today. And I really, for me, I look around at the world today and that means that there's some sin that you're going to have to, uh, to leave it behind. And you may enjoy it. You may, you may not want to let it go. But to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to leave that behind. That means the, the addictions that control you, that you need to lay them down. You need to leave them behind. I love that we sang this morning, you know, lay them down at the foot of the cross. That's what we need to do is to lay them down. That means your bad habits, your attitudes, those things you've got to leave behind. Uh, and if we look at how Matthew responded, we see he was willing to do that. In verse 28, it says, Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. It's a pretty simple response here, but it wasn't easy. He got up, he left everything, and he followed after Jesus. Here's, again, we've got to realize following Jesus, it's not complicated, but it's not easy. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. It means we've got to lay some stuff behind. We've got to leave some stuff behind. We've got to lay it down. We've got to be willing to move forward with all that baggage from our past. Now, you think about our society today. There's a lot of things that are considered normal uh, that people aren't willing to, to leave behind. It's normal for couples to live together before marriage. It's normal for people to attend church on Sunday after partying all day uh, Saturday. It's normal for people to treat each other rudely all week and then come to church on Sunday morning and act like they're a saint. <laughs> That's normal in the world today. But God has called us to live differently, hasn't he? He's called us to, to live a holy life, to be set apart, to be different. He's called us to, uh, to be like Jesus, like we talked about last week, to be a, a disciple, a student, an apprentice, a, a learner of Jesus, to live like Jesus lived. And, and so that means that we've got to be willing to take those things in our life that don't honor God, that don't bring glory to God, that go against His Word. We've got to be willing to lay them down and follow after Him. Second Corinthians says this. It says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so uh, being a follower of Jesus, this is, this is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. And it doesn't just, we get so wrapped up, like when people get saved, it's like, you know, hallelujah, that's awesome. And we get excited and we rejoice and we should. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's, that's the beginning of the story. That, that's the introduction into a life, a new life, an abundant life, a life of following after Jesus. And so we need to, when people get saved, we need to say, hallelujah, praise God, and then come along beside them and say, it's not going to be easy. Let's learn together what it's going to look like to leave the old behind and start following after Jesus. Again, I think this is a problem in the church today, not just corners, every church, right? 
It's like we want to follow Jesus, but we're not willing to leave stuff behind. And that stuff is what's holding us back. It's what's entangling us. It's what's preventing us from living that full, abundant life that God has promised us. And so when we're born again, it's the start of a new life. That means we've got to leave behind our love of the culture around us. We've got to leave behind our sin. We've got to leave behind our comfort. We've got to leave behind our control. We've got to start living for Jesus. And so all of this, as we look at the, the disciples, and we talked about this last week for for Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, when they laid their nets down, that wasn't just, okay, I'm going to throw the net. That meant they were leaving their old way of life behind. This was how they made money. This is what they did for a living. Think about it. For most people, our identity is wrapped up in what we do. For them, their identity was wrapped up. They were fishermen. It's all they knew. It's what their, their parents did. It's what they did. And now this guy walks by, Jesus, come, follow me. And when they laid down their nets... They were walking into something they had no idea what they were walking into. But here's what they knew. There was something so compelling about following Jesus. They weren't afraid to leave the old behind. To leave their nets behind. To leave their boats behind. To leave their families behind. To follow after Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we've got to realize there's something so compelling about Jesus. That it means that we don't need to hold on to anything. That that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's all about Jesus now. It's all about following after him. And so we've got to be willing. When we're called by God, we, we've got to be willing to leave some stuff behind. But not only that, when we're called, we've got to understand that it requires us to extend God's love to everyone. Uh, we've got to, 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 to extend God's love to everyone. And, and so it's easy to miss something uh, in this story. Um, and you may have escaped your notice in it. Um, and this is simply Matthew was a tax collector. And you read that now and you're like, oh, okay, he was a tax collector. No, let's really dig in and think about that for a minute. And that meant Matthew, he worked for the Roman government. Even though he was Jewish, he worked for the Roman government. That meant he was a traitor. That meant his own people hated him. That meant he was conspiring with the enemy to oppress his own people. Yeah, he, he, everything about him, people would despise. And not only that, because he was a tax collector, meant that he would have been wealthy. Uh, that he would have been wealthy. He would have had a lot of stuff. Why? Because they got to skim off the top a little bit. This was a well-paying job. It meant he was protected by the Roman government. Uh, everything about this, um, he was not well-liked. Last week, we looked at fishermen. You think about fishermen. Uh, they were like they were hard workers. They worked with their hands. They were rough around the edges, all right. But now we get to, to Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was used to sitting behind a desk doing accounting work, and he was the kind that handled all this money. And and, and typically uh, they 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 did it in an oppressive way. They took more money than they should, and and so he was not well liked by his own people. And yet when Jesus walked by, he just said, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Be my disciple. Now, we don't know how the other disciples responded, but I can almost guarantee they're like, what are you doing? Who is that? Why, did you, why are you asking him to, to come be part of this group? 
you know, if, that, if you had to take a vote among all the disciples, I don't think Matthew would be like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. Come on, join us. I mean, this is, this, is the, this is real life, right? When Jesus called him, he was different from everyone else. And so we look at this, and what it shows us is Jesus was not afraid to extend love to people who look different, who act different, who society would not consider acceptable. Um, you know, we, 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 that means for us that we've got to do the same thing. That we've got to extend love to people who we may disagree with. You mean people who have different views than I do? Yes. You mean people who voted a different way than I voted? Yes. That means people who uh, are out of, out of line with God's word? Yes. We still need to extend love to them. That means that uh, those that, that look different, that, are, that act differently, that are, are struggling, that means those who are from a different ethnic background or a different socioeconomic background, we still need to extend love and grace and mercy to. Some people, all they're going to know of Jesus is how you treat them. You understand that, right? For some people, all they're ever going to know of Jesus is what they see in you. And if they know you're a believer and you treat them in a disrespectful way, then that's what they're going to associate with God. And, I know, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to like guilt you or put pressure on you, but I've got, we've got to realize how important it is that we extend the love of God to the world around us. We're called to, you know, to show love to everyone, especially those who are not accepted by society. Uh, especially those. If you look, at, you know, when Jesus reached out to Matthew, what did Matthew do? His first response, we see it in verse 29. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. I love this because one of the first things he did after following Jesus is say, you know what? Everybody else needs to meet this guy too. I need to enter. Now, at this time, do you think Matthew had a good grasp of who Jesus was and why he came? Oh, he didn't know anything really yet at this point. All he knew is this Jesus. Again, there's something about Jesus that was different. And he wanted to introduce as many people as he could to Jesus. Here's what I found out over and over again. That you're, some of the best evangelists are the people who are just saved. <laughs> Why? Because they may not understand everything. They may not have a good theological grasp. But they know they've just met someone who changed their life. And they want other people to know about it. And that's what Matthew did. He immediately got together friends and family and tax collectors. And he's just like, okay, you guys need to meet Jesus. Let me, let me introduce you to Jesus. The problem is we see all this passion and excitement and energy from new believers. But the longer we're a believer, often the less excited and passionate we become about introducing people to Jesus. There's this pull that we just get in our inward kind of bubbles and we just sit around and talk about theology. We just sit around and talk about what should be done or what could be done or what we're learning instead of engaging with people who don't know Jesus. And that's the danger for any church. 
The longer you exist, the more inward you turn because it's just natural. But yet we see Jesus consistently reaching out to people that society rejected. You see Jesus consistently reaching out and showing love and showing respect. But yet at the same time calling people into truth. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Just just think about it. When was the last time you really told someone about Jesus? Statistically, it's terrible when you look at surveys and and studies that have been done. Most Christians, and I say most, it's like uh, typically like one out of ten may tell someone about Jesus in a given month. One out of ten. That means nine out of ten aren't doing it. And yet we see this is such a central part of the life of Jesus is reaching out to people who are far from God. We can't, it just, again, there's so much pull for us. And, and why is that? To, to turn inward. I think part of it is the fear of what people are going to think. Because look at the verse 30. We see it happened here. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? (laughs) Why do you eat and drink? He's talking about the tax collectors, the sinners. Why are you even being around those people? Why are you even associate yourself with them? Don't you know who they are? Don't you know about their reputation? Don't you know what people are going to think? I'm just telling you, I've been in ministry long enough that when you see God moving... You see God doing something great. You may as well take a step back and wait because the criticism is coming. And it usually comes from the super religious. It doesn't come from people. It, it comes from the super religious. Why are you reaching them? Why are you doing that? Why? Uh, we don't like that. We don't, it, it, and, and the criticism usually is around one of two things. It's around comfort or preferences. Well, I'm not as comfortable anymore. Or, or, but I don't like that. It's not the way I would do it. And so here's the thing. When we look at this, when we look at how Jesus ministered, it made the super religious uncomfortable. It, it really did. It, 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 you know, they questioned him. They accused him. They said, why are you hanging out with people? Why do you care about them? Why are you doing anything with them? And a lot of that is because the longer we're a Christian, it, it's easier to put ourselves on a level here and look down at everybody else and think they're down here. And we, we simply cannot do that, right? Jesus answered them in, in verse 31. Healthy people, they don't need a doctor. They don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I've come to call those who have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And so, again, it's not putting ourselves on a pedestal and looking down. It's realizing when Jesus came, right, he called out to the hurting. He called out to the, the ones who weren't healthy. And that kind of leads me into my next point. Jesus calls the imperfect, the, the, the outcast, the hurting, and the sick. That's, that's who Jesus calls to follow him. And now, here's what I want you to realize. Every single person in this room, you fall into that. This is not, this is not for someone else. Oh, I'm better. I'm not imperfect. I, I'm a good person. I, no, he can't. 
you've got to realize, all right, you've got to realize that without Jesus, all of us are in the same predicament. Without Jesus, all of us are in the same boat. It's not like we're up here because we go to church and then other people are down here. No, we, we've got to realize we are all imperfect people. In many ways, we've all been outcasts. We've all been hurting. We've all been sick. And until you put yourself on level ground with everyone else who is hurting and sick and outcast, you're going to have trouble reaching them. You're going to have trouble reaching them. Um, I just think about this. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, and it's from a, uh, he was an English missionary to China over 100 years ago. I love his name, C.T. Studd. Uh, great name. He said, this is a quote he said, and I love it. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You ever heard that? That's good. It's so good, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Why does the church exist? It's to be a rescue shop. It's to be a hospital. It's to reach people who the world has cast aside. And anytime we think church exists for the increase of our own knowledge to make us comfortable, then we've missed the point of what church really is. I just look at this, and again, that was over 100 years ago, but it's just as applicable today because I feel like the, the, the tendency is to... to to do church in a way that we can all stay comfortable. I'll just tell you, uh, one of the things that bothers me in the church world today is you look about church planning, which is creating new churches, and, and, and here's kind of the methodology behind it. It's like pick a nice, comfortable, suburban area that's growing um, and, and where lots of new families are, are moving in and put a church there because then you can have people come that have money right? Then you'll be comfortable. Then you can kind of reach families and reach people. And, and, and yes, we need churches in those areas. But you don't see very many people saying plant in inner city, plant in rural areas, plant where people are hurting, plant where people are moving away and losing jobs and poverty stricken. That's not where, that's not glamorous to plant a church in those areas. Where do you think Jesus would be? That, that's my question. Where do you think Jesus would go? Would he go to the comfortable or would he go to the hurting? I, I, I just, I mean, the reason, um, I'm just so passionate about this because I believe that God has put us, has put Cornerstone specifically where we are because this is where the church is needed. This is where the church is needed. I'm just, I'm passionate about this. And, and I think about this and, you know, Jesus did not limit his invitation to those who have a nice, clean, comfortable background. Now, Jesus went after the sinners. He came for the wounded. He came for the outcast. He came for the hurting and the sick. He didn't come for those who are cleaned up. He came for those who are a mess. And Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy. He said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I love that Paul had the self-awareness to say, I'm a sinner too. In fact, I'm probably the biggest sinner out there. And Jesus didn't just come for everyone else. He came for me too. 
you, you see there's humility in that. There's humility in acknowledging that we all need Jesus. If, if you back up to Luke chapter 4, um, uh, just, you know, chapter before where we were reading earlier about Matthew's call, we see the start of Jesus' ministry. And, and this is where uh, everybody's talking about him. He's teaching in the synagogues. Uh, he came back to the village of Nazareth, the, his boyhood home. Uh, then if we get to verse 18, we see he was handed a scroll. Uh, it was from the prophet Isaiah. And this is how Jesus started his ministry. This is how Jesus kicked it off, how he initiated everything. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, the people, they were looking for a savior that would come and rescue them from the Roman oppression. They were looking for a political leader, looking for a military leader. And yet Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come for those who are poor. I've come from those who are outcasts, for those who are hurting, for those who are sick. I came to, to loosen the chains of oppression. This is not the talk of, of someone that came to reach the religious elite. It's the talk of someone who wanted to set humanity free. Back, it's been four or five years ago at Christmas, I, I shared a message about how Jesus came to be messy. We're talking about the stable and, and uh, there's a lot of truth in that. And there's a quote I shared that in that sermon that I, I went back and looked up. Um, and it was a quote from an Andy Stanley book uh, called Deep and Wide. And he said this, he said, uh, churches committed to embodying grace and truth will be forced to navigate a third sea of complexity. He says, speaking from personal experience, I'll choose door number three every time. The grace and truth approach is messy. And he's talking about how we've got to have truth. We've got to stand firm on God's word, but we've got to have grace in how we share it. And he said, it's gloriously messy. We have decided to be fine with that. One of our pastors has a saying that we've adopted organization-wide. He says, we walk toward the messes. In other words, we don't feel compelled to sort everything or everyone out ahead of time. We are not going to spend countless hours creating policies for every eventuality. Instead, we've chosen to wade in hip deep and sort out things, one relationship, one conversation at a time. We wade in toward the messes. Ministry is messy. It's difficult. You can't create a policy that covers everything that we're going to face. And so what this is saying, when we stand firm on truth and yet we show grace, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be always clean and concise. It's going to get messy. There's a proverb that's really, and I've heard this mentioned before, but the more you think about it, the more applicable it is. Proverbs 14.4. Uh, and it says this, and I don't know if you've ever heard this one or thought about it, but it says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large har harvest. Okay, we're country folks, so I can explain this a little bit. Here's, here's my definition for this, right? If you want to get some serious kingdom work done, you're going to have to deal with a lot of crap. You like my definition? That's how I would translate this. If you want to get some kingdom work done, you want to get work done, you're going to have to deal with some crap. 
You know, I mean, what, if you don't have an oxen, you're not able to plow the field. You're not able to get work done. But if you have an oxen, you're going to have to clean up behind it. <laughs> and oxen are big. I'm just telling you. I've been in Nicaragua before where they've walked down the street beside you and you look at those and you, you're like, they're huge. Okay. I'm just telling you, I love that verse because if we want to accomplish great things for God, it means we're going to have to get messy. We're going to have to pick up the shovel sometimes. <laughs> if you want a clean stable, you don't get oxen. And, and, I'm t- and the reality is, let's be honest, there's a whole lot of churches that prefer a clean stable over a shovel. They would rather have the clean stable than to get messy. A clean is comfortable. Clean is uh, predictable. Clean is, is easy. But when you start reaching people who are far from God, it gets messy. It gets messy quick. And there's a lot of stuff you have to deal with. You get let down. You get hurt. You get, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's not easy. And we could all sit around and have our deep theological conversations. And we could have a clean staple. Or we could be willing to, 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 to jump in and do God's work. And deal with one relationship, one conversation at a time. Deal with some hurting people. But we get the privilege then of introducing them to Jesus. To walk along beside them as their life is changed. Now I don't know about you. But if you, if you, if you want to ask me which I prefer. I would prefer every time the messiness over the cleanness. I would prefer the messiness. Because you get to see life change. You get to see people change for all of eternity. Uh, A messy church shows that people are being reached, that people uh, are being loved, that people uh, are are understanding who Jesus is and and, and coming to meet him. Uh, The the church, we're not just designed to to get people into our building. We're an organism. We're a family. We're created to go out and share God's love with the world around us. It's not about creating a show on Sunday morning. It's about living it out every day of the week. And so for us, I just want you to think about Jesus. Think about who he interacted with. Think about the people he encountered. Again, Matthew, who we've been talking about today, a hated tax collector. We think about Simon the Zealot, who was a political activist. We think about Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen who were a little rough around the edges. And I've told, somebody asked me about Cornerstone a few weeks ago. And I'm like, you know, we're, it's a good church. A lot of good people. We're a little rough around the edges. But we're, you know, it's, it's ministry's happening. All right. And you think about that. You think about Thomas, who was always doubting. You think about Judas. Jesus poured into him and, and spent time with him and loved him. Um, think about uh, the sick and the blind and the paralyzed and those suffering from leprosy and those that were demon possessed. Jesus didn't shun them. Jesus reached out and encountered them. Uh, You think about the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was living with someone she wasn't married to. Jesus interacted with her. He did tell her to go and sin no more. But he showed her respect that she had never gotten before. Think about Nicodemus who was a religious ruler. You think about the woman caught in adultery. You think about the rich young ruler. You think about Zacchaeus who was another tax collector. You think about Jesus surrounded by, by two thieves on the cross, and yet he still reached out to them and told them, today you can be with me in, in paradise. I just look at the life of Jesus, and he not only walked toward the mess, he embraced it. 
It was, he embraced it. It was who he was. And so I think about Jesus when he gave the invitation in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. The religious elite want to place all these burdens and expectations and rules on people. And Jesus is this, come as you are. Come as you are and I'll help you get cleaned up. Not get cleaned up and then come. No, come as you are. I'm going to help you get cleaned up. That's the invitation of Jesus. I was reading the story of an illustration of a janitor at a church camp who was complaining to everyone. He's like, sure, I, I sure could get a lot more done if there weren't any kids around here. I've been around a lot of churches like that. We sure could get a lot done if we didn't have any messy people around here. Man, the, the kids, they're always tearing up stuff. And the youth are always messing up stuff. And so uh, why do we have and people complaining about carpet? You know? And I'm just telling you, I'm glad we've got stains on our carpet. Because that just shows that this building's getting used for, for God's glory. I'm glad that we've got babies crying during church sometimes. Why? Because it shows that parents are bringing their kids to church. And I'm just and parents, we've, we've had a huge baby boom here lately. I want to just tell you, do not worry about having kids in the service. You are not hurting my feelings. We've got a nursery. If they get too wound up, you can go spin them around, let them go in the nursery. But you, it's, kids are welcome here. Why? Because we, we care about families. You know, we care about our youth. And so, yes, if you have teenagers, I'm telling you, they will break something. We've had TVs broken, we've had couches broken, we've had all sorts of stuff broken. And it's usually because they did something stupid. I'm, I'm not going to lie. They're teenagers. But I would rather deal with that than not have teenagers, right? You, you, you see where I'm going? If we want to do messy, <laughs> then we're going to do ministry. It, it gets messy. It just, when we deal with people, it's going to get messy. And so I just share all that just to, 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 to tell you that this is, as a church, this is who we are. Sometimes we just need to, to share a little bit about our passion, our identity. And to share that no matter what your past is, you're welcome here. Now, we know that you can't stay where you are. There's some things you're going to have to leave behind as you learn how to follow Jesus. There's going to be some life change that happens. But here's the reality. As we learn more about Jesus, he starts transforming you from the inside out. Where those things that used to have a hold on you, you, you no longer desire them anymore. And, and so I, I just want you to know that just as Jesus called a tax collector uh, who was an outcast 2,000 years ago, he's calling you today to follow him. Chris mentioned earlier that when we sang that God so loved and John 3.16, it says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But it keeps going. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so I just want to ask you this morning, do you want to join in this mission to seek and to save the lost? To realize that Jesus didn't come to, to judge everyone, but to save the world. 
Uh, that's the mission we have as a church, to, to, to go and make disciples. And then we teach them how to obey everything that God has commanded. It's not teach them how to obey everything and, and, and get them cleaned up and then they can come to church. No, that means it's going to get messy sometimes. That means that you're going to look around. There are going to be people who are different from you. Different uh, backgrounds, different races, different uh, jobs, different heartache, different levels of spiritual maturity. I could go on and on, but there's going to be people that look different than you. And that's the way the church is, in, that's the way the church is intended to be. And so as we close today, my question for you, okay, is what are we going to do about this? What, how are we going to change? What are we going to do? The first step is for each and every one of us to take personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. That's the first step. It's not my job to do all the, the preaching for Cornerstone. As a church, we all preach Jesus when we leave this place. We preach it through the way we live our life. We tell people about Jesus. We introduce people to Jesus. That's how we live our life. And so I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come back up and then we're going to close today. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for today, for your word that just continues to press us out of where we're comfortable and, and push us into maturity, that pushes us into obedience. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that for, for us as, as, as a church at Cornerstone, that we'll continue to wade into the mess. We'll continue to reach people where they are and then teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray for, uh, for this community. A community that has a lot of people who are hurting. A lot of people who are outcasts. A lot of people who have turned their back against God. And I pray that we can start breaking through and sharing with them the love that you have demonstrated to us. Lord, I pray for those watching online. I pray for those here today that each and every person, that they would be able to say that I'm saved. That I've given my life to Jesus. That I'm no longer following my own path, but I'm following the plan that God you've set before me. And so, Lord, I pray that each and every person watching would be able to say... I've admitted my sin. Uh, I've asked Jesus to save me. That I know I need a Savior. I believe that, that, that Jesus died on the cross to, to pay the punishment for my sin. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that when we pray that, you hear our prayer, you save us, you give us that new life, a new start. So help us, Lord, to leave the old behind, to follow you and to, to, to trust you. Help us to come just as we are. Lord, I'm so thankful for our cornerstone, for what it means to this community. Help us not to lose our passion. Help us not to lose our focus. Help us continue to seek out. Lord, we just thank you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.